Well, I was uh, wrestling with some passages uh, for our special service today to honor the folks that serve our emergency stuff. And so um, I thought it'd be good, since we had guests um, from the emergency uh, management systems, that we would, we would literally just turn to a scripture that is an emergency. And uh, there's one in Mark chapter 4, if you'll turn there, where the disciples are feeling very anxious about the emergency. And they sort of miss a whole lot of the reality of who Christ is. And I want you to be challenged today with these six principles. Um, six principles that we can learn from this very simple passage. Now, some of you have been through our Bible study methods uh, that I've taught here. And you know this is my favorite of all passages to teach in Bible study methods. Um, because it has an ending that's different <laughs> Uh, than we tend to think. We, we like to make this a children's story about Jesus calming the storm and uh, speaking to the wind and the waves. And uh, it's, a, it's a miracle, yes. But it is not the point of the story. It's really not why it's in the Bible. Jesus does lots of miracles, and so you wouldn't have to add this one in. He actually, in several others, deals with situations like this. So this one has a very significant place uh, in the disciples' lives, maybe in your life today, I hope so. Um, but let me give you a little bit of the context. When you get to this point of the Gospel of Mark, if you study the timeline of Jesus, here's some things that he's done. The Bible says he's healed hundreds. He's actually gone through towns and healed hundreds by now in front of the, the disciples. He specifically healed several demon-possessed people. These are people who were uh, just crazy, crazy people, enraged in a lot of ra- reasons and ways and problems in their life, and Jesus cast the demons out of them right in front of the eyes of the disciples. He healed a a lame man that had been lame for 38 years, uh, crippled in his feet. He healed a man with a withered hand in the temple. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories that we'll tell uh, in a few weeks when we we look at our series of Jesus engaging people. Um, He changed water into wine. That was his first miracle. He's healed a leper, a man with leprosy. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And I think Peter may have liked that or not. I don't know, depending on how mother-in-law treated him. But he helped Peter. Uh, he's helped Peter, James, and John haul in this huge boatload of fish and had a great time with that. Um, he's taught dozens and dozens of parables and lessons by now to the disciples. He sat with them privately and explained the lessons to them. He taught the Sermon on the Mount publicly, and then he did a private session with them on that. So he's not a stranger to these disciples. Um, His power and his wisdom are evident. And in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, we pick up the story. And it says, on that day when evening had come. By the way, that day is is, uh, the last lesson that Mark records Jesus has been teaching. Is is a lesson of, uh, if you actually actually look back, you'll see um, Jesus has been teaching on the fact that um, all you need is the faith of a little mustard seed. Just that much faith make a huge difference in a person's life, and it has so much fruit in it and so much ability to help and help us. And so as, as uh, we come into this story, um, Jesus has been teaching about the mustard seed, and he says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took along with them in the boat, just as he was, took him along, and other boats were with them. Now, if you did our Bible study methods thing, you know that's a very interesting verse because we never hear anything else about the other boats for the rest of the story. I don't know. When we get to heaven, it's on my list of questions. Where did the other boats go? Because they disappear somewhere in the storm here or in the rest of the context. But there arose, verse 37, a fierce gale wind and waves were breaking over the boat 
so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When we study this as a child, and, and a lot of our uh, simpler lessons on this talk about Jesus just calming the storm and the power he has to calm the storm. But this is actually a story of Jesus working with his disciples. I would like to say it's probably a story of Jesus working with you and I today. And he wants us to understand some things. So the very first principle we see is God gives real clear instructions. You notice Jesus gives some real great instructions in the first verse. He says, "Go. let us go to the other side. Not complicated. You don't have to understand Greek to figure it out, although he probably said it in Aramaic or something. Um, when Jesus gives instructions to his disciples, he doesn't complicate it for them, nor does he do that with us. I don't know if you have ever thought about this, but a lot of what God asks us to do as his followers, as his children, not real complicated. It may be hard for you to do because you don't want to, because you won't will yourself to it. You won't allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into it. But in reality, what he's asking you to do is just a simple thing, a simple thing. Just obey me. We just read the scriptures every day, learn what they say and obey me and follow me. That's what he'd like us to do. That's not complicated. You don't have to have a degree in, in uh, you know, uh, linguistics, in, in uh, original Koine Greek linguistics. You don't have to have anything fancy behind your name to do it. A child, actually, Jesus says, children are pretty good at this. If you would just have faith like a child, you'd get along a lot better with the whole deal. So part of the challenge for us is to remember this principle that Jesus gives instructions that are very clear and simple for us. And when he gives those instructions, we need to learn to follow them. Now, in the middle of this process, Jesus goes into this boat and he goes to sleep. We believe he was underneath some sort of covering in the back. Uh, A lot of the pictures you see of the boats that the disciples had back then are very small, but this has all the disciples on it, so it's a a 12-person boat. It's pretty good size. And he's asleep on a cushion in the back. And we find there, verse 37 says, There arose a fierce gale of wind. The waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now here's our second principle. It's all about the storms. Sometimes really big storms just show up in our lives. Not when we expect them to. We don't even have a chance to prepare for them. Now I'm just going to ask for a real... I know you're writing those notes down, but look up at me for a minute. Will you just show your hands if you've had a storm show up in your life that you were not expecting? Storm, life, not expecting. Okay, I remember when my son Joshua, 18 months old, had his very first seizure. I'm at the office at church in Birmingham having a great day. Everything was great. Kissed all the kids goodbye. Kissed the wife goodbye. Went to church. And the next thing you know, I am flying down the interstate in a little dodge that a missionary had given our family. I am flying at insane speed, swerving and speeding down the interstate to get to UAB Children's Hospital because my 18-month-old firstborn has had a seizure. And I mean, it just absolutely changed my whole day, week, life right there. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't, I didn't study children's seizures throughout the week. The Lord didn't give me a book on it, coming into it. You know, but he gave me some serious instructions. I'll tell you, I've told you this before. I'll tell you what went through my head driving to the hospital, begging in my prayers, begging God, 
not to take my son. I remember so clear, like Jesus was sitting in this seat, and he just kept asking me this question. Do you trust me? And I'm thinking, yes, but just don't take my son. And he's saying, no, really seriously, do you trust me? Because he really isn't yours. He's mine. And multiple times in Josh's younger years when he had those seizures through five years old, I had to literally say, God, he really isn't mine. He's yours. I'm learning that trusting you means it's all yours. You know, I had to learn in that process. So sometimes really big storms happen to us when we don't expect them and we're not even prepared for them. But that's part of life, isn't it? Every Christian in this room, every non-Christian in this room, um, you can just count that out. You can say, well, it's not fair. And I can tell you life's never going to be fair. will not add up. Fair is a mental concept you have of what it should be. And it's different from what everybody else says. It's different from your fair and my fair will be different at the end of the day. And the Bible never promises life's going to be fair or easy or fun. Okay? We get all that sometimes wrong. I told you before, God didn't call us to a cruise ship. He called us to a destroyer. We're supposed to be trained to work and destroy the enemy that surrounds us and preach the gospel clearly. So the third principle is real clear. And that's where we find Jesus resting in the back of the boat. The Lord, our Savior, can rest in any storm. Now, if, you, if I was going to ask you to register one thing all day today, just lock it in your head is that God is at rest. Everybody in this room has challenges. We have things that challenge us. We have things that makes us anxious and complicated. I had a really challenging week myself uh, with the theft of my stuff out of the shed at the gym. Uh, and then my brother's uh, failing health. Some of you know my older brother, Lynn, with cancer is... Is, uh, was put in the hospital last night and, and uh, doing a little better this morning. They found some things that might help. Uh, but he's really not doing well. And uh, we need a lot of prayer for him. I need you to pray for my brother Lynn. Um, but all of that's just heavy on me. It's heavy on us. And I'm listening to the... I'm saying to the Lord, I'll just give you a personal testimony. Um, God took me to Job 121. It's one of my favorite verses. I've quoted it for years. Most people, when they quote the verse, quote... Just the first part. And they'll say this. Um, Job, Job starts out and says, Naked came out into this world, naked I'll go out. Then he says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You remember that part of the scriptures where Job's lost everything, all of his children, everything? He says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. How many of you have heard people quote that verse? They say it all. Oh, bless your heart. The Lord gives. Remember, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Don't ever leave out the rest of that verse. You know what he says? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job was wise enough to go, you know, that story doesn't end at give and take. The story ends when you go, glory to you. Bless you anyway. That's the whole issue with Job and Satan and God, is that Job is not going to let his spirit be broken in that. So when you go through those storms, you've got to just say, Lord, you're in the storm with me and you're not unrestful. You're not freaking out about this. Listen to me. God never once, Jesus never once has paced the golden streets of heaven back and forth, anxiously going, how am I going to get Stan out of the mess he just made? He never once is trying to go, oh my gosh, what has he done now? Or, I don't understand how to help him. I've got to come up with an idea. Jesus is never anxious about anything. You understand that? The Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. He knows how it all is going to end. He has, he has 
promise to be there through it all with us and get us through it. Not, not out of it a lot of times, but through it. So as a Christian, the faith issue for us in a storm is to go, are you resting? Oh, I know you're resting, God. You're always resting. God never is not at rest. And we have to learn in our minds, we have to think all the time. When we get anxious about what just happened in our life, some, some uh, new thing that comes into our life that's very challenging, we have to stop and go, wait, wait, wait. God, you're not anxious about this, so let me figure out how to think like you. Let me figure out how to sense your Holy Spirit's presence. By the way, He promises He'd give us the Spirit of God. And then He says He will bring you peace that passes understanding. He says a peace not like the world gives, but a peace that's completely fulfilling to you. So you don't have to be anxious in your storms. Doesn't mean the storm doesn't upset you or scare you or hurt you. Doesn't mean you won't cry or be sad. Doesn't mean you're not going to have emotions. It just means in it you're going to go, God, no matter what in the midst of all this, you are sovereign, Lord God Almighty. You rule and reign and you rest. And so when the disciples find the boat filling up with water, I'm not a sailor, okay? Lived on the coast all my life. Not a sailor. I do know boats full of water, very bad idea. Okay? In the ocean, in the sea where they are, very bad idea. I know that lots of people drown and die in that situation. I know there were not like 12 life preservers and a coast guard waiting on shore to come get these guys. If the boat's filling up with water, they're freaking out. It actually says in the text that they thought they were dying. Remember, remember their accusation? You know, don't you know we're perishing? They literally think they're going to drown in this storm, right? And and so their fear, this is important to register for a few minutes later, their fear at the front end of this story in the storm is of dying. Pretty high fear. Pretty high fear factor. If you think you're dying, it scares you. Okay, I've been in a couple of cars with some people that drive out here. <laughs> been in my own car a couple of times. And I've definitely been in a car in Romania on a mountain ridge. And I was saying my last goodbye, I was literally telling God, tell my wife I love her. This guy's going to, we're going over the cliff. I'll never survive this guy's driving to the, to the camp. It's going to kill us all. And uh, I'm literally praying, God, please bless my kids. They're all little and bless my wife. And it's been fun, God. Thanks very much. This is going to be a fiery burning crash at the end. So I, my heart was pounding out of my chest the whole time this guy's driving. So I kind of know that anxious moment that's happening when something bad's going to happen. Now, here are the disciples in the midst of the storm, and they get this fear going, and they, they go back and they find they did two good things. Okay, or one good thing and one bad thing. The first thing they did good was they went back and they found Jesus. It's a good idea in a storm, by the way, to draw near to Jesus. So let's make that a principle. Fourth principle, it's a very good idea to draw near to Jesus in the middle of a storm. Jesus says to his disciples multiple times, he'll say it later, Come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. So it was a good idea to go back there and find him. Real good idea. I don't even think it was necessarily a bad idea to wake him up. I think that would be okay. He wouldn't mind being woken up if they were scared. And I think it would have been a good idea for them to say, we're really scared. Will you, like, sing to us or talk to us or say something really special? Since you're our Lord and Savior, Master Teacher, Creator of all things, would you do that? That's not what they did. Good thing, wake him up. Get near him, good thing. Bad thing, accuse him of not caring. Very bad idea, okay? It's a very bad idea to accuse Jesus 
Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, who left all of heaven to come to earth to save you from your sins. Very bad idea to accuse him of not caring. Some of you have raised children. You know what it's like to have children accuse you of not caring when you've done so much for them. You've tried so hard to love them and provide for them, and then you take away some favorite toy or do something you know, that discipline them, and they're like, oh, you just don't understand. You don't care. You just want to take your child and go, I'll show you not caring and not, you know, we'll take everything away. But in reality, for us, it's very easy for us to accuse Jesus, to accuse God of not paying attention. When in reality, he may just be resting. He may just be resting and he may be at rest and you're anxious and you think he's supposed to be anxious. God is never going to be anxious over your crisis or trial. Never, 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 never. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't. It's not in his, his sovereignty to have to be anxious over anything. He knows the beginning from the end. And so here the disciples all panicked. And they draw near to Jesus. That's a good idea. And then they wake him up. And then they make this accusation. And I just want to say to you, the last person in the world you should ever accuse, ever accuse of not caring is Jesus Christ. He left the heavens and the praises and the glory and the admonition of angels. He left the beauty of all that God and He had in heaven to walk on a very dusty, hot, and arid earth. He he lived at a time when there was no air conditioning, by the way. Us spoiled Americans would not like that. He lived at a time when people, uh, when the the form of execution was, was literally crucifixion and He was beaten and murdered to pay for our sins. So if anybody actually cares, it would be Jesus himself. He actually cares. And he spent a long time with these disciples trying to help them understand how much he actually cares. But here in the storm, they panic. They have this harsh accusation. So now Jesus is awake. And he's listening to these guys that he's invested in sort of turn on him. You know, they're going, don't you even care that we're perishing? Hello? We're perishing. Doesn't it bother you at all? And so Jesus wakes up, and honestly, we get to heaven, we can ask, but I think he's annoyed with his disciples now. I don't think it was the waking him up part. I think it's the accusation. And, and you, can, you can sort all this out theologically. I don't know that I have a leg to stand on with Jesus being an annoyed, uh, although I think I annoy him all the time. Um, I, think, I think the disciples have annoyed him now. I think he's annoyed. And so here's what he does. He gets up. He looks at the situation, he stands up in the boat, and he literally speaks to the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves separately, hush, be still, and he calms it all down. Now, you and I need to remember this. God himself's not afraid of an F5 tornado. We've had those, you know, recently we've had some major tornadoes go through. You know, I was in Birmingham when that huge F5 hit Pleasant Grove, and then there's just recently the, the other one a couple years ago that hit out in, in uh, out of Tuscaloosa. Uh, I've been through all that damaged area. Those those storms are amazing. I want you to know that in a in a tornado like that, um, if you take an oak branch just the size of three of your fingers, an oak branch that's alive, okay, and you you find that branch out in the woods and it's alive, okay, not a dead one, but a living one. You can't break it to save your life. You can't twist it. It's oak. It's solid. It's hardwood. And you can't twist it or anything. 
But I tell you what, a tornado that, you know, is in God's hands at some point. God's the creator of our earth and all that's on it. A tornado can come across an oak tree as big around as five and six of us biggest guys in the room and literally just twist it off and just take the, 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 the tree trunk is still there, but the rest of the trees just twist it off like snap, gone, you know, sucked up in the cloud. That's some serious force in that storm. I don't even understand the physics of it. I've read a bunch about it because it freaks me out when I go to these places to help these people. And I look at the trees and say, how did a solid oak tree just get popped like that when I can't even get a branch to twist like that? How did that happen? There's so much whatever you know, atmospheric pressure and things happening in that storm. And God just goes, snap, 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 right down the road. There they go, those storms. But Jesus Christ is not afraid to stand right up to the middle of one of those. He's not afraid to stand in the biggest hurricane that could ever come up this coast. He could stand right out on the beach and just look at it and go, hush. And there it goes. Perfectly calm is what it says. Perfectly calm. So now he wakes up. He stands up in the boat. They're all freaking out. You've got to remember the boat's rocking. It's still full of water, sloshing around. And Jesus goes, hush, be still. And I think they're probably themselves hushed. I think he hushed more than the storm. I think he hushed the disciples. And here they are, looking at Jesus, who's never seen a storm he's afraid to face. Never. He's never been anxious in a storm, and he wasn't going to get anxious in this one. When they woke him up, you know what they wanted him to do? Get anxious. Don't you understand? We're perishing. Help. Jesus like, hush. That's all there was to it. But then Jesus takes the chance to reveal our issues, because storms in our lives reveal who we really are. Our real issues become evident in the midst of big storms. And Jesus wants the disciples to see their issues. You know what he wants you to see in your trials, in your, in your difficulties? You know what he wants you to see? Who you are and who you are to him or who he is to you. So we ask him a very good question in verse 40. He says, why are you afraid? He says, do you still have this, this word? And I'm a, I love independent Bible study methods, very detailed thing. I love being detailed. He doesn't say, why do you have a little faith? He doesn't say that. What does he say about the disciples' faith? Why do you have no faith? Because they're behaving with no faith. Why do you have zero faith? Jesus has opened the veil to them now. Everything's calm. Everything's great. And now he's looking at them going, Guys, you don't have any faith. You don't have any faith. Why is it that you have no faith? Now, if I'd have been one of the disciples, I'm not usually wanting to talk up, but I might want to talk back to that a little bit. And I'd have said, uh, You know, Jesus, I appreciate you challenging us on that. And I'll give it some thought. But I do want you to understand. The boat was filling up with water. Water and boats don't go together. Water's supposed to be outside, not inside the boat. It was filling up. That's why we woke you up. The boat was filling up. Thanks for calming the storm, by the way. Pretty awesome. I mean, I'd thank him. I'd say yes, sir, no, sir, to him. But I'd go, let me just help you understand. The boat was filling up with water. And I was scared. That's why. And then I think Jesus would say, can we just start over? Can we start the whole lesson over again? Because when we got in the boat, what did I say to do? What did I say we were going to do? Remember his instructions? They're real simple. 
What was his instructions? Let's go over to the... Now, Jesus says we're going to the... Where are we going? The other side. All you had to do is count on his word. That's all you have to do. You know how simple your faith is? Count on his word. Count on his word. You know what the disciples completely lost track of in the midst of that storm? What he said. Nobody's sitting down going, all right, what did Jesus... Before we wake him up, let's figure out what he said right before we went to sleep. What did he tell us to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. But so, so there's, there's this place where Jesus will not let us off the hook. And he goes, look, I've ex- I gave you the instructions. They're simple. We're going to the other side. I'm going to sleep. You're going to row and you're going to bail. Because there's going to be a storm. Now, he didn't explain all that. By the way, he doesn't always tell us about those storms, does he? But you know what he wants the disciples to do? Row and bail. Row and bail. Let's get to the other side. And I think they could have done it. Just row and bail. You know, we might get to the other side. We might be, you know, our, our water line might be a little higher. Might be a lot higher. We can go, man, we got there. Jesus, Somebody go wake up Jesus. We're there. He said, go to the other side. We did. That would have been awesome. Jesus been, good job, guys. Thanks for having faith in my word. Not how this one ends. Jesus looking at those disciples in that boat going, guys, why is it that you have no faith? You ever wonder why they woke him up? I asked this in our Bible study methods class. You ever wonder why they woke him up? Look at the next verse. Look at, the, look at how this ends. It says at the end of the story, they became very much afraid. In the Greek, it's more terrified than they were before. Now, they were scared for their life-ending fear was what they had before. They're, they have a life-ending fear at the early part of the story. At the end of the story, now they're even more scared and they're not in any danger at all. The, the storm's calm. It's a good day. Birds are chirping. Water's in the boat, but we're okay because there's not too much water. And Jesus got everything calmed down and he's awake now. So why are we scared? Why are we more scared? Look at what it says. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because they don't know who he is. You know why their fear got so high? You know why their faith got so zero? Because they do not recognize who Jesus is. Even though he had done all this work for them before. Even though he had traveled through life with them and helped them do all kinds of stuff. You know what this storm revealed? They don't believe in Jesus. They're just along for the ride. And when they wake him up, you know what they call him? Teacher. You know what they want the teacher to do? Bail water. They need some more hands bailing water. Don't you care that we're perishing? Could you take this bucket and start bailing? Come on, bail, bail. He's going, bail. I don't bail. I can stop the storm. Why would I bail water? You know, a lot of us as Christians, we, we want... Our vision of Jesus is very, very small. He has great things in store for every one of the families out here. He has great things in store for you. I remember walking down this aisle... On a Sunday morning, that was four years ago maybe now. Having just got a phone call from a friend of mine in Birmingham, Austin Davis. And he said, man, we got to have some people down in the DR to build a church. And I don't have any workers up here in my church. We kind of burned out with some other things. And the guys that go don't, aren't really workers. And could you just, is there any way your church might be interested in doing that? I said, well, I'll ask. I'd love to come myself, but I don't know if any of our guys would. And I want to tell you, I had zero concept, zero expectations that anybody in this church would take us up on that. So I walked down this aisle, and my 
little brother is sitting down there. And I just went, hey, um, sometime in June, I need to go to the Dominican Republic and build a church. Uh, who would want to go do that, would you? I, I was waiting on him to go, no. I asked my brother, no. And you know what he did? He went, sure, when are we going? I mean, you could have knocked me over. And then Robbie Hayford sitting like two seats over from him on the same pew. And I look at Robbie and I go, um, would you want to go? He goes, sure. And I'm like, what's happening here? But here's God doing this amazing work in these families way beyond what even I would envision. And I'm saying to every one of you, God has a plan for each one of you that's way bigger than you. Way bigger than you. And so my brother and his family have gone to the DR for three years now, four years. I don't remember. Lost count, four years. And, uh, you know, they love working on the mission field. That, that's a dream, you know, of, of a pastor to have a family that loves working on a mission field. And there it happened right there. God has a specific plan for every one of your families. And it's way bigger. Don't have a little bitty Jesus picture in your head. How about look big? And if you're going to wake him up in your storm, if you're going to talk to him in the storm... Don't accuse him of not, of not caring, because he does. You might just want to ask him, what would you do to help us in this? Would you help us right now? Could you help us? Could you either calm the storm or tell us how to bail better? You know, maybe we're just not doing it fast enough. Or give us directions, a compass to get out of the storm, maybe. There's other options than just accusing Jesus, you understand? But here are the disciples, really, really in the midst of this, uh, struggling. And so... They expect Jesus to bail water. And I'm asking you, don't call on Jesus to bail water out of your storm. Just ask Him to get you through the storm. Ask Him to stop the storm if that's what you need. Could you just stop this storm? And, and if you're not going to stop it, show me what I'm supposed to do. But I'm not going to panic. And I'm going to believe with all my heart that there's no storm you're afraid of. So there's no storm I have to be afraid of. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be anxious. The size of of your Jesus needs to be big enough to cover all storms for all times. He'll stand at the shoreline of any storm of your life and put it to, to rest. Or he'll get you through it to the other side every single time. That's who Jesus really is. Those are the principles that we should have in an emergency. And as we close, I want to ask you to think about who is Jesus to you. For some of you, he, he literally may be, Jesus may be... Um, just a great teacher and instructor, uh, full of good information, but you've never given your heart and your life to him to fully trust him. That's where the disciples were. They would not fully trust, not fully trust in Jesus Christ um, to be their Lord and Savior. Now they learn, by the way, all these men eventually learn um, who he really is, and they give their life for him. Um, all but Judas um, give their life for him, and they, they serve him faithfully. Um, so I want to ask you to think in your heart and head who Jesus is. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just ponder that question for just a moment?